You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. You see, when Jesus made reconciliation for sin, and again, the only person who could go into that inner sanctuary to actually appear before God, to have access to God, on that one day a year, was the high priest and the high priest alone. So when Jesus made reconciliation for sin, he opened the highway to the throne of God and made it possible for all men and women to approach the throne of grace. Did you know that you can boldly enter the throne room of God? Today, you learn from Pastor Mike's message that Jesus has made it possible for you to come to the Lord anytime you want. No longer are you excluded from having access to Him. Pastor Mike explains that you don't need to have any other person be the go-between. Jesus is your intermediary and has bridged the gap by His sacrifice on the cross. Because of His shed blood, you can go to the Lord anytime and any day that you want. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Isaiah, chapter 57, as he continues his message, A New Race of People. I remember what you said, you returned that I might live in my Father's house. Begin in the latter part of verse 15. It says, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile, there's that word reconcile, remember one of the first immediate results of Christ's work of redemption was that we were reconciled, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore, therefore, or thereby putting to death the enmity. Now, to appreciate what Paul is saying here, it is necessary for us to understand the word that he used in this text. Paul emphasized that God's purpose, notice there in verse 15, was to make of two individuals one new man. And the Greek word translated new, that new man, the Greek word translated new there in verse 15 is the Greek word kanon and means differing in character. And that's exactly what he's done in our lives. We are different. We are different in character now. You know, William Barclay, uh, in his commentary, described it this way, when uh, referring to the word new. He says, a thing which is kenos, or new, is new in the sense that it brings into the world a new quality of something which did not 
exist before. Folks, it's a miracle. It's a miracle of transformation that has happened in each and every one of us. So I believe Paul here is thinking of a new creation, and the Bible tells us if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Isn't that true? Think about it. You know what? I mean, this should cause us to be, uh, to have a great appreciation of what God has done. I mean, we are, we are, you know, totally a new person in Christ. So I believe Paul here is thinking of a new creation, something which, although already existed, was nevertheless something extraordinarily new. God took two elements which were old to produce something absolutely new. You know, another writer commenting on this fact said, and I quote, it was as if one should melt down a statue of silver and a stature of lead, and the two should come out gold. And that's what God has done. And also notice that this reconciliation came through the work of the cross. Notice there in verse 16, that's what we're told. Because there was no other way by which the task could be concluded satisfactorily. You know, I, I like you know, I'm not big on revised versions of the Bible. You know, I'm a King Jimmy guy, right? And uh, I, I, I prefer, you know, I cut my teeth on the King James version of the Bible. Well, I cut my uh, teeth uh, on that version because Pastor Chuck Smith, who used to be my pastor, you know, exclusively used that particular translation of the Bible. And so uh, I've, I've listened to every tape from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation when I first began my ministry of Pastor Chuck's. And we're talking about hundreds of tapes that I listened to when I first began my ministry. And, uh, and Pastor Chuck always used the King, the King James. But when you know, he needed to you know, bring it down to like more contemporary English, he would use revised versions. But I, again, I'm not big on revised versions. But in this particular case, I would refer you to, in verse 16, the Living Bible Translation. And the reason why I would recommend that is because that it's extremely thought-provoking. Let me read it for you. And this is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 16. This is the way that it's translated. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. And, and you know what? I, I like that translation. And so anyway, that was one, so it's extremely thought-provoking, and that was one of the immediate results of Christ's uh, redemption. That is that we were reconciled. But another result was that Christ reached us. Verse 17, and how did Christ reach us? The same way that I hope and I trust he's reaching you this morning. That is through the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Notice what it says in verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Listen, think about this. No one can appreciate the gospel until he has heard and understood its message. You know, where that, whereby that person makes a connection with the gospel, gets hold of it, the very heart and soul of it, where he can actually interpret it. And it only comes through the ministry and the operation of the Holy Spirit. It, no, nothing short of a revelation by him 
where he opens up the scripture. That's why we always pray, God, open up this text of scripture to us. God, give us understanding, right? You know, here are two people sitting next to each other in one of our services. One person, here's, it's the same message. One person is soaking it up like a sponge, and it's tra- it has a transforming uh, effect on that person, whereas the other person's hearing exactly the same thing, but it's just going right over his head, not making any connection with it whatsoever. How do you explain that? It's just through the operation of the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of the heart, right? And uh, the person has come to want to receive of the Lord, who appeals to the great teacher, who is the Holy Spirit. Or, or that person just isn't born again. And that's the reason why Paul tells us that the natural man, that is the person who's not born again, cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually uh, discerned, right? So anyway... No one can appreciate the gospel until he or she has heard and understood its message. And this saying of Paul there in verse 17 might be a reference. This is what Paul may have been thinking of when he said what is recorded for us in verse 17. That is to the promise given through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 57 in verse 19. Check this out. I create the fruit of the lips. And isn't that true? I want you to think about it. You know, the praise that God places upon our lips is exactly that. He is the one who places that praise upon our lips for all that he's done, right? All of the wonderful things that he does and continues to do. And therefore, we praise him with with our lips. Peace to him who is far off. Notice he's using the same vernacular as did Paul here. The same words. Peace, peace to him who is afar off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Okay, so I want you to think about this now. Paul then, in this text in Ephesians, is probably thinking about his own ministry, that his calling, that compelling desire that he had that sent him to make known the gospel throughout Asia. And notice the scope of that ministry may be explained in two ways. Verse 17, what are those two ways? To those who were afar off, and then to those who were near. So it seems as if there are two categories of people here, two classes of people who were presumably, or at least they should have been, closer to God. I mean, think about it. That particular time, when when Paul first launched out on his various missionary journeys, you know, who would you, if asked the question, were closer to God, would it be the Jews or the Gentiles? How would you respond? You would say the Jews, right? Because they had a history of knowing God, God working in and through them. So he might have been contrasting the idolaters who were the Gentiles at that time, who then would have been considered far off from God with the orthodox Hebrews, who at least professed to be custodians of the law, who presumably would be closer to God. You see? So so maybe that's what he was thinking about when he penned that particular verse. Well, anyway, God planned that the gospel should be heard throughout the world. And so God got hold of an instrument, and what an instrument, Paul, the apostle, 
who ministered both to Jew and Gentile alike. He took the gospel to the four corners of the earth. And God desired through Paul and others, even as he desires through us today, in this present day in which we live, right? He desires to express his love for all people, for all nations. So that was another immediate result of Christ's work of redemption. That is, Christ reached us. And how did he reach us? Through the preaching of the gospel. And, you know, I, I, you know, I can't say enough about and place a higher premium upon the preaching and teaching of the word of God. I mean, it's really everything. And, and we need to hold that up as, as something, you know, worthwhile, you know, giving ourselves to. Not only the preaching and teaching of it, but, you know, on our own. Spending that time regularly in the word of God. And, uh, you know, some people, uh, you know, we're a small group of people in, in, in contrast to a lot of other churches, right, even right here in, in New York City. And, and uh, you know, people are always asking, well, you know, you know, sum up what your ministry is all about, you know, in, in New York City. And, uh, you know, they want you to respond, well, you know, we have a soup kitchen, we're doing this. And we, we're involved in a lot of uh, other projects, even outside our own four walls. And, you know, when the opportunities arise, we take advantage of them. And, and uh, we're out there uh, working alongside of other ministries and, and helping out when we can and giving towards, you know, those ministries financially or, or whatever. We just got finished with our uh, Samaritan's Purse um, project, right? Uh, Operation uh, Shoebox this last week. And, you know, whenever you know, God opens up a door, we'll, we'll, we'll step through it as, as, as he leads. But, uh, you know, so in comparison, people like, well, well, what are you guys? I mean, what are you guys accomplishing? What are you, you, know, what are you guys all about? And, and uh, how are you really making a difference? Let me tell you how we're making a difference. We're preaching the word of God, the uncompromised Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that's what it's all about. Is there anything more valuable than that? I don't think so, man. Because it has the the, uh, capacity and the ability to transform people's lives, you see. And only God's Word can do that. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So I can't overestimate the importance of teaching and preaching and studying the Word of God. Now, another, in fact, the last in this list of immediate results of Christ's redemptive work is that we have been reinstated. Christ reinstated us. You say, what are we talking about? That which was lost by our first father and mother in the Garden of Eden through their disobedience and through their sin, you see, was now recaptured through Christ. We have been reinstated. Notice what it says in verse 18. For through him, we both now have access by one spirit to the Father. So this thrilling verse provided the climax to Paul's exposition. Expressing the Trinity was anxious to restore to man what had been lost. So let me break this down for you. If you're taking notes, you might want to quickly write this down. Verse 18. Let me break down verse 18 for you. Through him, Christ... We both have access by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, unto the Father, who is God. And so God planned salvation, Christ procured it, and the Holy Spirit presented it. So I like this, because what we have here is all three members of the Trinity actively together, right? 
had a part in restoring to mankind the privileges that were lost by Adam and Eve. The first man could have enjoyed unbroken fellowship with his maker. And aren't you going to give Adam a piece of your mind when you get to heaven? You know? But you know what? He, poor Adam, he gets a bad rap. If you were the first man or the first woman in the Garden of Eden, guess what? You being enticed by the devil, you would have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as well. And, uh, you know, it, it's just you know, it's something about human nature. It's sort of like the, uh, you know, the wet paint syndrome. You're walking down the street and you see a sign, wet paint. You know you're going to go over to that and you're going to check it out for yourself where that sign is. Oh, yeah, it is wet paint, you know, right? <laughs> Isn't it true? It's just something weird about human nature, right? And uh, so, poor Adam. But you know what? If he would have remained obedient, there would have been, never been death, right? No sin. And uh, we wouldn't be putting in how many hours during the week, Will, do you put in at your place of employment? Don't even begin to talk, right? You know, there would be no work. Could you imagine? We'd just be like kind of skipping down country roads, plucking fruit off of trees, and, you know, just one big happy family and, and party. And, and, uh, but listen, what was lost in the garden is going to be restored one day when we come back with the Lord and he establishes his kingdom upon the earth, first the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, which we were talking about uh, on Thursday in that second coming of Christ message that I delivered, followed by, you know, no longer will we uh, relate to the world in which we will live at that time through any time continuum, because after the thousand-year reign of Christ, there won't be any longer any time as the new city of Jerusalem comes down from heaven and we enter into it and you know, now it'll just be the eternal now, and we'll be with the Lord, and we will be skipping down those country roads, picking up the, you know, plucking fruit from the, those new uh, trees that God will plant along the, the rivers of living water that will provide for our uh, nourishment and refreshment. Well, you know, man, let me tell you something. We have something really to look forward to, but that's a whole other study. Don't let me get started on that one, man. But anyway, the first man could have enjoyed unbroken fellowship with his maker. But sin, unfortunately, closed the door of access to the divine presence. And therefore, now going back to the temple illustration, remember which we begin with, the veil within the sanctuary prevented people from approaching the mercy seat and the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles placed restrictions upon aliens who desired entrance into the inner precincts of the house of God. A little background concerning the, and a little bit of trivia concerning the temple of God. There were these different cubicles within the uh, temple of God. There was what was known as the holy place, and uh, within the holy place there was the altar of incense that was all uh, offered by the priests, and as the, the altar uh, the smoke from the altar, uh, from the incense that was burnt upon the altar, ascended unto the Lord. It was to represent the prayers of God's people going up before the throne of God. But that holy place was separated by a veil, and behind that veil was known as the Holy of Holies, and that was that was where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that was where once a year the Shekinah of of God, the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, appeared on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, as the Jews refer to it, on the Day of Atonement. 
and only the high priest on that one day a year was allowed to go behind that veil to offer up a sacrifice for the sins of the nation of Israel, for the entire nation. And listen, let me tell you something. I don't know if any of you would have wanted to be the high priest, because let me tell you what they would do. Uh, remember now, he would go once a year on the Day of Atonement uh, to offer that one sacrifice behind the veil, uh, before the Ark of the Covenant, before God, where the Shekinah uh, glory of God appeared. They would tie a rope around the high priest, and they would also place these bells all over the garments of the high priest, so that when he entered under the veil and stood before the Ark of the Covenant, you know, as he would move around, they would hear the jingle of the bells. But if no longer they heard the jingle of the bells, they would then determine that the sacrifice that had been offered by the high priest was not acceptable by God, and God had struck him dead. And so the rope that was placed around his waist, they would pull him out from under the veil. That's how they got him out of there. So, you know, those of you who are looking for positions within the church, okay, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord, folks. Let me tell you something, right? Okay, but that veil, it, it, this is significant, and this is why I've gone a long way to mention this. You see, when Jesus made reconciliation for sin, and again, the only person who could go into that inner sanctuary to actually appear before God, to have access to God, on that one day a year was the high priest and the high priest alone. So when Jesus made reconciliation for sin, he opened a highway to the throne of God and made it possible for all men and women to approach the throne of grace. And that's why we are told in Luke's Gospel in chapter 23, in the last few moments of Jesus' life when he hung upon the cross, the Bible tells us that the sky darkened and there was a great earthquake. And the result of that earthquake was, guess what? The veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was rent or split in two. What was the significance of that? Now all men everywhere had access unto the holy of holies. That's what that whole thing represented. Luke's Gospel in chapter 23 and verse 45 the Bible tells us the veil of the temple was torn in two. Listen, gang, Jews no longer had priority over Gentiles, and aliens were no longer considered to be inferior people. Through the redemptive work of Jesus, enemies became brothers and sisters, and they were both accepted into the church. And so now there's no restrictions there's no warning signs that exist in the palace of the King of Kings. God's door is open. His welcome sign awaits any who desire an audience with their Lord. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for joining us. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House. Be sure to subscribe and let us know you're a listener in the comments. If you don't have a church that you call home, we'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. 
You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to hear today's message again or to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to our continuing study of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled. I remember what you said.